Welcome to Classic 4x4, the podcast for and by classic four-wheel drive enthusiasts. I'm your host, Chris Piccone, and you can follow the podcast on Instagram at classic4x4podcast. And you could follow my trials, tribulations, and antics of collecting and restoring classic four-wheel drives at Overland by the Sea. That was actually probably the hardest one I ever had to sell and probably the one I regret selling the most. And I knew selling that would be basically getting rid of my my brand. Today's guest is somebody whose life is intersected with my own. We have a really cool story to tell. And before I introduce that guest, uh, I want to start that story off. And, and it actually goes back about you know five years here uh, to 2018. Uh, in 2018, uh, my wife and I were getting a lot of flack from a lot of our friends because neither of us had social media or any social media accounts, and we were missing out on everybody's lives. And anytime we saw somebody, they, you know, they'd bring up a current event that happened in their life, and we'd say, "Oh, we didn't know about that." And they'd say, "Oh, it's because you don't have social media." We and. In this day and age when everybody posts on social media, they expect everyone to know what's going on. So we finally gave in in 2018, and my wife and I decided to open up a social media account, uh, an Instagram account for our dog, Carl. And uh, we started this Instagram account, and uh, we just took pictures and posted pictures of of the dog. And But most importantly, it was to follow all of our friends and our family and, and keep update on, on what was going on in everybody's lives. But I also quickly realized that I could follow people that had similar interests like myself, you know, collecting classic four-wheel drives, restoring classic four-wheel drives, and especially other Jeep guys. So I started following a couple of Jeep guys, and one of the first actual uh, Jeep, quote-unquote, influencers or classic 4x4 influencers I started following was a guy by the name of Jason Miller, and his Instagram handle is 65CJ5. And I watched this guy, Jason, you know, tinker around with a not only... Uh, the 65 CJ5 tuxedo park he had. He also had a, a CJ3B at the time, and he was really putting some cool content out and never really thought much of it. Just followed him, watched the cool stuff he was doing, and then next thing you know, our lives intersected. So, But before we talk about that and tell that story, I want to introduce the one, the only, Jason Miller. If anyone out there doesn't follow him on Instagram, you need to. He does some really cool Jeep projects. His uh, Instagram handle is 65-S-E-E-J-A-Y-F-I-V-E. So 65 and then C-J-5 spelled out. You also have to check out his YouTube channel. It's under the same handle. He's done some really cool projects and he always chronicles his builds. He actually did a really cool stroker engine swap recently in his TJ. You got to check that out. But without further ado, uh, the one and the only, the man, the myth, and the legend, Jason Miller. Hey, man, thanks for joining me today. Hey, Chris. Absolutely. Glad to be here. Super glad to be here. Hey, man. And I'm super glad that you're in my life and that you and I actually uh, cross paths and and our lives intersected to, to create a pretty cool story. So before we get into that story and, and finish off what I already laid out, you know, tell us about yourself. You know, where did the passion for Jeeps, for classic four-wheel drives come from? Who is Jason Miller and, and why do you love these classic four-wheel drives? Well, it goes way back to my earlier years. I'm, I'm only in my uh, early 30s here now. Uh, but basically, back to when I was just a kid, um, I really loved to tinker with things, loved to take things apart. But mainly, I just did a lot of reading. Back when you had, uh, you didn't have Instagram, you didn't have social media, you had a paper 
uh, magazine and you actually would read Peterson's Four Wheel and Off-Road or Four Wheel or, or JP Magazine. And I would read those magazines uh, for hours and just completely, I mean, I was probably the only seven or eight year old that could tell you like the horsepower of uh, the brand new truck at the time or 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 how to how to re-gear your, uh, you know, Dana 44. Um, I just, I, I've always been a, uh, all about vehicles ever since i was a little kid from playing with matchboxes to reading about them um so it goes back to just being a kid and i'm glad to have parents that actually like let me do that let me uh you know play with that play not only play with the cars but actually like go to car shows and 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 promoted my love for for automobiles that's awesome. So now that we, we've gotten to that point, we know who you are, we do, uh, man, the one question that every one of our listeners absolutely loves and, and I get the most feedback on is that I ask everybody is what was your first car or truck or your first vehicle in general? It was actually pretty cool. It was a 1998 flame red Jeep Wrangler TJ. That was my first vehicle, which was but the only issue was it was a four cylinder and it was gutless. I mean, it was a five speed, but it was absolutely gutless. If I was going anywhere, it was turning about four or 5,000 RPMs and just foot to the floor or like screaming. And that's how you had to drive it. This little 2.5 liter four cylinders. You just had to rev the rev them to the moon to get them to go anywhere. So what happened to it? Where, where did it end up? I ended up selling it to uh, my cousin and I had bought a 2003 Jeep Wrangler um, after having that for a few years. And that had the 4.0, but that actually was done up with a six-inch long arm. And that's all another story. But th- my first Jeep ended up going to my cousin, who he started driving. And he just beat the absolute snot out of that thing. <laughs> so it is probably in a junkyard somewhere by now. But it was actually like, I mean, it was, I mean, you're talking like early 2000s here. And a 98 TJ was still like fairly, not new, but I mean, it was nice. Uh, and, um, yeah, it, it was, uh, I'm trying to think I, I had like a two inch lift on it, had 32s. Yeah. It, and I had a five speed and yeah, I, I sold it to my cousin and he just, uh, he drove the wheels off of it. So that's cool. That's awesome for you and being a Jeep guy. That makes sense. You know, I think a lot of where I, you know, have my love for Jeeps is the fact that my first car was a YJ, which I've talked about a lot. I was dead set when I started driving that I had to have a Jeep. And everybody was like, no, you should get something more, you know, economical. First vehicle shouldn't be a Jeep. And I I, I said, no, I, if, I have, if I'm spending my money, my hard-earned money, saving up all the summers working, 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 I'm going to buy what I want. And it was a, a 98 TJ. My parents actually had a rule for my brother and I. We had to start driving on a manual transmission. Yeah, that should still be to this day, honestly. I don't even know how, like, you know, parents could have that rule with their children today. Cause I, like, I don't even know where you get a manual transmission. I don't even, can you even get a manual transmission well, anymore? Yeah, on a modern car? <laughs> that's true. I don't know. There's not a lot of offering that. I mean, the Jeeps still come in manual transmissions, but everybody's so busy now with their, you know, there's too many things going on. They can't drive manuals. You got to, you have time to, you know, hold your, your phone in this hand, do this in the other hand. <laughs> yeah. You can't take a selfie, post it, and then like boost it on social media while you're driving a manual transmission. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then take it, three it, calls while you're doing it too. <laughs> it made you learn how to focus on driving. And I think that's something that, that that's something good for all first drivers. Hey, I might've driven a teal Wrangler or a YJ Wrangler, but Hey, at least it was still a six cylinder and a, and a, uh, a manor trans. But how did you end up launching 65 CJ five? Like where did that come from? Uh, my wife 
was a real big driver behind that because she told me, she goes, you know, you, you, you know so much about these things. You have all this, I wouldn't call it useless knowledge, but you have all this, you know, if I ever go on Jeopardy someday, I could have, you know, I could, oh, this, 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 that's about deep. <laughs> I'd be good, you know? Um, but basically she's like, you can talk to anybody. You, you can, you know, just, uh, try to make it fun for everybody. You try you have a good way of trying to teach people. I mean, I don't know if I do or not, but she says I do. Um, and she said, why not try to share that with the world? you know, so I decided, I think it was like May of 2019. I decided, you know, I'm going to give this, a sh- give it a shot and, and try to do the whole YouTube thing. And I, I mean, I do okay with it. I, I wouldn't say like I'm a, a huge YouTuber, but it's, it's fun. I, I didn't realize how much I enjoyed, um, not only working on vehicles, but also like trying to share what I'm doing and, and the, the, the production of videos and, and the process of that it, while it is a lot of work, it is a lot of fun. Um, I do enjoy it. And, and then along came Instagram to try to promote the YouTube. And I found out like, I am not a, phot- a photographer by any means, but I do enjoy photography and, and, you know, different shots and different angles and things like that. So, um, really the main driver behind the whole YouTube thing was my wife saying, you really should try to share this with the world and not just uh, on the forums, but try to you know take it to the next level. So that's kind of why I started that. And that was with my, well, I'll let you, I don't get too far ahead here. <laughs> no. So let me ask you a question. Did you have the Instagram first or the YouTube first? I had the YouTube first and I was just fine with that. Um, but people said, Hey, you know, if you really want to get your name out there, you got to market it. And that's what people don't realize with the whole YouTube thing. It's a lot of work. If you, uh, you get what you put out of it, basically it, it, you're, you're the boss. Like you basically, um, you, you produce the videos, you, you, you fund the videos, you edit the videos, you promote the videos, you are, you're everything in, in, in one hat, you know, you are all the hats in one person. And while that's a lot of work, it is a lot of fun. Um, but anyway. With all that, you started posting, you know, the collection of Jeeps you had at the time and, you know, walk us through the collection you had at the time and that you have presently. At the time, I had a 1965 CJ5 Tuxedo Park. And that's that's a cool story of how I got that. And then we'll get to that then. But then I, I also had a 1953 CJ3B. And what was special about that CJ3B was it was not the stock engine. Someone had swapped a small block Chevy in that CJ3B, which was, a, it was a lot of fun to drive. Let's just say that. Um, and then I actually, at one time I had all three, I actually had the, um, 2002 TJ at that time too. I got a 2002 Jeep Wrangler TJ, um, as well. So, which you just did a, a stroker engine swap into, which we're going to talk about a little bit later, but before we even get into that, you know, tell us the story about how you ended up with the tuxedo park. Uh, and I think, uh, once you tell us how you ended up with it, there's a little history behind tuxedo parks in general, which you and I know pretty well. So we'll talk about that, but that tuxedo park is where our lives intersected and we cross paths, which is the start of the next chapter in the story. So tell us where you found that 65 CJ5A Tuxedo Park. Okay. So without getting too long-winded, we moved to, my wife and I and our kids at the time, moved to a farm, a 15 and a half acre farm. And I said, you know, it'd be nice to have something like a gator or a UTV to, you know, run around here. While 15 and a half acres isn't big, uh, per se, when you walk from one corner to the other, <laughs> when you have to walk, it's, it's, it's a little further, right? <laughs> so, so I said, let's get a gator. Well, gators were too expensive. And I found, and I said, I'm going to find uh, a, a, an old Jeep 
And now at this point, I had been out of the Jeep world for a number of years just because of life, you know, family, getting married, young family, money, kids. I had sold my last TJ in the late 2010. So I wrote 2009, somewhere around 2010. And I thought this was like probably, I guess this was 2017, I'm sorry. It was April of 2017. I got on Craigslist, not Facebook Marketplace, Craigslist, right? And I found this Jeep and it was a 1965 Tuxedo Park uh, CJ5, right? So I called the guy and I said, sure, I'll, I'll come take a look at it. But it was four hours from me. And if you are familiar with, I don't know if you ever watched The Office or anything on TV, they always talk about Lake Wall and Paul Pack, which is up mm-hmm. close to Scranton, like Scranton, Wilkes-Barre area. It's about, like I said, three and a half, four hours northeast of me, which I guess you're probably familiar with that area a little bit. Um, but this thing was this guy's like woods vehicle, like, like basically a glorified four-wheeler. He lived on the lake, uh, but like up up in the mountains. And uh, he was just trying to basically get rid of it. He didn't need all these toys he had. And it was in pretty rough shape. I mean, it was the guy's like four-wheeler. Now, he was the second owner and I technically was a third owner, as far as I knew. He had bought it from an estate sale from a gentleman who had passed away and had sat outside for a number of years. So he kind of like got it running. He didn't actually restore anything. He just got it running enough to drive. Um, so I picked it up from him, brought it back. It was April of 2017, brought it home, and my kids were ecstatic. They were just little guys at the time, but they were ecstatic to have this thing. Um, and... Uh, yeah, that's that's how I got. That's how I took ownership of the Jeep. It was from a gentleman in Lake Wall and Paul Pack. So when you started, so talk to me on that Jeep. You started documenting the mechanical restoration that you did on that Jeep, which became a huge part of your YouTube channel and your social media presence. Uh, how did that end up coming about? What I didn't realize at the time, to be honest, I hate to admit it, like I actually didn't even know what a tuxedo park was uh i just saw it was he said it's something rare and i thought okay whatever you're just trying to sell a jeep but <laughs> you know what um but in all honesty i i believe in 65 that jeep if i remember right was one of 1900 it had the f-134 four-cylinder in it and had a t90 transmission now it was a floor shift transmission when i bought it that would have come with a column shift part of the upscale package per se and uh, that was um at some point, somebody converted it over to floor shift because supposedly the linkages got, you know, wonky and they'd wear out, the bushings would wear out, so they'd just go to floor shift. Um, but for the most part, it was complete. I mean, it was it was, it was was rough, but it was a complete Jeep with all the Tuxedo Park chrome bits and everything on it. So, And that's what uh, is where your Instagram and YouTube handle came from, 65CJ5, uh, yeah, launched your presence, right? I thought that was a cool way to you know, have a, a play on words, you know, six, five, CJ five, you know, 65 CJ five. A lot of people don't even know what that means until they kind of stop and think about it for a second. And they go, oh, that's kind of cool. You know, I, I didn't even think about that. So where did the CJ three B come from? So you have the 65 CJ five, a tuxedo park, and then somehow this three B with the Chevy 350 swap came about. The CJ five was cool. It was a short nose, early CJ five. Right. I thought, uh, you know, I, I kind of got into that scene and really liked it. And, I always, even since I was a little kid, wanted a flat fender. I was always intrigued by the flat fenders. But a flat fender, if you know, is, you know, for me, it was a little rich for my blood. They, they're, they're not cheap, you know, mm-hmm. for, for what they are. And I found this one. It was about 40 minutes south of me. It was a, it was a, a friend of a friend of a friend. 
right? One of those deals, right? And a guy knew a guy who worked with the guy who was selling this thing. He was an older gentleman and he, he had bought it and would drive it to work every now and then. He worked at the local hospital and he just was getting too old to enjoy it. And he's, I mean, he was an old man, but he said, I just, I'm getting too old to enjoy this thing. I want to pass it on to somebody else. And I drove down to get it and it was, I mean, it drew home, but the fan quit working and it started over. He, I mean, it would pop out of gear. It was, it was something he just drove and didn't give a, uh, you know, a, a flip about anything. Mm-hmm. He just, he just basically just drove it. And if it, the coolant started bubbling out, he just kept on driving even more. Right. <laughs> so, so I brought that home and, and it was cool because it actually, I thought it was a Chevy 350. I thought it was a Chevy 350, but in fact it was a Chevy 283. Um, which was the, was the second engine, I guess that's technically the Chevy 265, I believe was the first small block. And then the 283 came after that. So you're talking like late fifties, early sixties engines at that point that somebody had swapped into that Jeep, probably in the eighties, I would say that was done. So yeah, I got that from a friend of a friend who knew somebody, but you ended up selling, that was the first one that you kind of got rid of out of your collection, right? Correct. It was fun and it was rowdy and it was really a really fun Jeep. If you picture a little, you know, I don't know what, two, 3,000 pound vehicle and you put a, a V8 in that thing, I don't care who you are, that, that's fun. So it was a lot, it was hard to get rid of it, but it was, it was uh, patched together and someone, like I said, had probably built it in the 80s or early 90s and it was just like hodgepodge together. Um, and yeah, I let that go. That was the first one I let go. It was, it was easy to let, it was pretty easy to let that one go. Gotcha. Cool. So you spent from 2017 till what, 2020, 2021 chronicling the work you did on that 65 CJ5A, you know, and kind of walk us through all the work you did. I mean, there was a lot of rattle campaign on that thing. Like, I mean, you mechanically, you redid that thing and I've watched all the YouTube videos and everything you mechanically restored that thing to you know perfection the body was something i was going to tackle later in life as my kids got a little older uh you know my boys got a little older we were going to plan on you know either doing a tub swap or practicing the welding patches in and all that uh that's what that was our plan so at the at the time i had the idea you know hey i'm gonna try my hand at see what i can make look you know, see what I can make rattle can look like on this thing. And it was painted Krylon peacock blue with a clear coat. And I will tell you, you can wet sand and buff rattle can clear coat because I am <laughs> proof of it. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people at shows and even on the forums thought I actually gave it a paint job. Now, online, it looks a lot, you know, it can look a little better than in person. I kid you not, you could buff it and it was shiny and it actually looked pretty decent for a rattle can paint job. That's cool. And mechanically, I mean, you spent years just getting that thing. What were some of the big projects you did on that that stand out? The biggest one that stands out to me is this, the, I guess it was a Saturn overdrive that I put in. And in a previous episode, I did hear you talking to Seth about that, about how it's like ship that thing. It's, it's, it basically splits your gears and it's, it's cool to ship, but it's, a chore. That's it's not a chore. It's fun. It's a ton of fun, man. And did, yeah, you, it, did he tell you how I drive an overdrive? Or did you listen to it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's yeah, so it, much fun, man. Yeah, it, it, it gave, basically, if you drive an old Jeep, I don't care what it is, if it has a T90 in it, the T90 three-speed transmission has first, second, and third. 
first to second's all right, but second to third is such a big throw that you either screaming in second or you're lugging in third. So the overdrive gave me like a second over. So you had essentially another gear between second and third, which was really, which where I heard you say, like you basically ran it there and just let it run, you know, just, yep. just kept it there. That's where it was happening. It, it, it was, it was probably, that was probably the best thing I ever did for that Jeep was give it an overdrive. Honest to goodness. That's cool. Yeah. You did a lot of other work too, man. I mean, it was, you resealed that thing from top to bottom, right? Re- resealed it, went and adjusted all the valves and oh my goodness. Yeah. I didn't actually crack like the transmission open, but we did, you know, all sorts of stuff on that thing. All sorts of stuff. Years, years and years. Uh, so then when did you decide to sell that? I can't even tell you why I decided to sell it. I think I just wanted to free up a little bit of cash for my TJ. Um, ultimately I bought a TJ because it's a, it's a little better for a, a guy that has some kids that wants to drive around. The CJ5 is great, but it's not exactly ideal for on you know under 10-year-old kids in. Uh, I mean, it can be done, but I wanted something a little safer that I could haul them around in. So I wanted to free up a little bit of cash for the TJ. Um, so that's why I ultimately, reluctantly sold it, um, put it up for sale, and which was really cool because I met this cool guy named Chris. who. <laughs> <laughs> so this is where our lives intersect. Uh, so one day I'm sitting on my couch and I had just finished up a project and, you know, I'm always looking for projects. I'm always looking for fun stuff to add to the collection. And I'm on Facebook marketplace and, and I'm scrolling through and keep in mind, Jason and I live, you know, two States apart, but like we live hours away from each other. Right. Okay. So for some reason, and I'm just search Jeep CJ, right. And I'm going through all these CJs, all these rust buckets and stuff. And I see a picture and I'm like, man, I know that CJ. I know that 65 CJ5A. Oh, it's that guy I've been following on Instagram and the YouTube videos it's I've been watching, guy. man. <laughs> so I was like, ah, whatever, you know. He had it up for a fair price. I was like, you know, I'll just hit him up and see, right? But got back to me. You know, I ended up buying it, sent my transporter out there. And we talked about it actually for a good like two or three hours because I was familiar with the Jeep in the first place. But you had amassed a parts, you know, inventory for that thing that was borderline. Like, I think it actually weighed more than the Jeep itself, right? (laughs) (laughs) The amount of parts that you sent along with that Jeep, I actually ended up having to pay my transporter more because he's like, you didn't tell me that there was like a whole other (laughs) Jeep of parts that go with this thing, right? But what I knew was that that thing was mechanically on point and it was 100%. It had been treated well. It had been loved, right? But I knew that the body needed needed a lot more love. You know, floor pans, the trans tunnel. There were a couple other small things, but, you know, the tub was okay. It was good. The tailgate needed to be replaced. The, the hood needed to be replaced. But what you had done is at some point you had bought all those body panels and all those panels and accumulated them. So I bought that all with the Jeep. So I knew it would be a little bit easier, right? So it was time to embark on the my section of this uh, project where- I basically she, handed you the torch. She just kept the torch going, right? Yes. So you, know, Chase, you had gotten this thing mechanically to 100%. You know, I think it hit the brakes. It pulled a little bit. I know you had spent like- hours upon hours, like replacing hubs and drums and all this stuff. I think that's actually the moment I said, you know what? That's it. It's gone. I'm done with it. I'm tired of messing with it. (laughs) 
Do you know what's funny? I brought it to my mechanic to have the oil change and, and some of the other fluids. And I was like, hey, when you hit the gap and when you hit the brake, it pulls a little bit to the right. And this is an old school guy. And you know what he said? He goes, oh, it's just an adjustment, right? And you know what it was? You replaced the hubs. You like rebuilt the brakes, the front drums. Re- repacked bearings, all sorts of stuff. You want to know something? It was a simple adjustment. The guy literally, and it was like, I picked it up like later that day and it was right and it ran beautifully ever since then. But it, it just goes to show though, like if you've had something for long enough and you think, oh, I'll never get rid of it. At some point, like you kind of hit that wall where you're like, you know what? Like it's been fun, but I just, I'm just tired of it and I want to do something different. And I think that's the aha moment I had at that point. I mean, but this was the Jeep that, you know, started your presence, right? I mean, your handle is 65 CJ5. You know, how did you end up like actually getting to the point where you're like, all right, I'm just going to move it on. Like, that's a tough decision. It, it was hard. That was actually probably the hardest one I ever had to sell. And probably the one I regret selling the most was, <laughs> was that one. Um, and I knew selling that would be basically getting rid of my my brand you know not that i have a not that i have like an actual brand but that's as you said 65 cj5 that's that's like what started it all and i thought you know i always told myself i'd never get rid of that one i always have to have that one um and and i knew doing that that at this point in time like you know i I just have a tj and i don't have an old jeep at this time i knew getting rid of that would kind of like blow a hole in in that because it kind of is like leaving not leaving but you know i mean you're you're kind of getting out of that classic market and I, I had built up, you know, a lot of contacts with people and met a lot of awesome people through social media and other, you know, brands and manufacturers and, 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 and a lot of friends I made along the way. It was who I still talk to this day. I mean, I'm not like, not like I cut off my relationship with people um, by getting rid of, rid of a vehicle. Um, but I knew getting rid of that Jeep was kind of like, like, what the heck are you doing, dude? Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's that is that is your Jeep, right? So, but that's where our lives intersected, and and I made a new friend, uh, just kind of finding it on, on Facebook Marketplace one day. So the transporter drops it off, picks it up at your house, drops it off, and I realized body wise, I got a little bit more than I expected, but it wasn't that big of a deal because I had you know I had all the panels and and it was good to go. Now it was time to get started on on uh, you pass the torch on on my end. But the first thing I did was you talked about the tuxedo park, right? The tuxedo park model. And for all of our, all of the listeners out there that may not be familiar with the rare tuxedo park model, when Kaiser had Jeep, basically back then in the, in the late fifties and into the sixties, what ended up happening was Jeeps were just utilitarian vehicles. They were farm vehicles. They had PTOs. Like they weren't a family vehicle. They weren't something to be driven around. So some of the executives at, at Kaiser at the time, which owned Jeep, it was at the time, it wasn't even a model. It was actually a trim line called the Tuxedo Park trim line. And their whole goal was basically to appeal to families, uh, men, women, middle class uh, families to get them to start buying Jeeps. Elvis had a tuxedo park. I did not know that, right? I'm pretty sure. Look, <laughs> you know what? Don't put me on that, but look it up yourself. I'm pretty sure Elvis had a tuxedo park. Me, you, and Elvis, right? Now yeah. we all we have a connection, right? <laughs> so what they ended up doing from 61, 62, 63, it was 
64 it went to its own model right that's right. the mark that's 4 right so yeah. what happened was 61 62 63 it was a trim line and it was the tuxedo park tuxedo park mark 1 mark 2 mark 3 and then though it wasn't selling that well they wanted to invest more in it and made it its own trim line in 1964, you had, and this was from 64 to 68, I believe, was the actual model, which was a, a Jeep CJ5A, right? So that separated it. CJ5A Tuxedo Park Mark IV. And they made them in a very limited amount. They weren't big sellers. Like Jason said, you know, they made, you know, roughly, you know, a thousand to two thousand every single year. There weren't a ton out there. I think the total amount that they made from 64 to 68 was like 7,000 plus, right? That sounds about right. And they had their own special VIN numbers too. So you can, you can, you know, associate a tuxedo park by the, the certain VIN. It's like 8322 or something like that. The first yep. four of the VIN. 8322. Not only was that rare, but they also did it on the CJ6. And they yeah. had the CJ6 a tuxedo park which was super rare to the point where they yeah. made very very few of those and those are also delineated by a vin which is i want to say it's eight four something but i, I forget <laughs> our listeners can figure that out. but they had this very limited edition which was really to elevate the jeep brand and to be sold and appeal to the average you know suburban husband wife and you know kind of move the brand away from just uh being a farm vehicle well it failed horribly right they didn't sell a lot of them they didn't make a lot of them but what they still these- drove like they still drove like a tractor and they drove like a tractor, but it was purely just an essentially an appearance package. What they ended up, what Kaiser decided to do was just add a whole bunch of chrome hardware, chrome windshield hardware, chrome badges on the side of the hood, chrome front and rear bumpers, a chrome rear flip-up uh, license plate frame. And they also gave a, a very rare option in that particular model, the CJ5A uh, Tuxedo Park Mark IV, which was a bench seat. So I ended up buying this particular Jeep from Jason. They also had those turbine hubcaps, which were are, are super rare at this point too. Which are impossible to find, right? Yeah. So my first order of business was to get myself up to speed on the history of the Tuxedo Park. Um, and next thing you know, uh, I quickly started to realize that this thing was complete. It had all the hardware. I also quickly realized that that flip-up rear license plate frame usually was ripped off. There was no amount of money in the world that you could even buy those things. Even they don't make them repop and the originals were almost all gone and rotted. So people that had them, they wouldn't even sell them to you. You could offer a million dollars and nobody was selling them to you. The same holds true with the bench sheet. The bench sheet was very rare. This particular Jeep did have the bench sheet. So at that point, I said, all right, now it's my turn. The torch has been passed and let's get it to the body shop. Let's get it to the upholsterer and and see where we can go. And I ended up painting it Empire Blue. And uh, you had actually I don't know if you remember this. You had painted the wheels. You had had the wheels powder coated or painted a color called Dover white. Mm-hmm. And I actually took and ran with that and upholstered the interior Dover white with empire blue piping, which was beautiful. It's like a, like a cream white, like an off, off, off white cream color white, which that seat was beautiful. I mean, if, if, if our, if these listeners haven't seen that Jeep, like, you need to put a picture of that in here or, or, or somewhere like, you know, like people need to look it up. It was beautiful. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a labor of love and even was more 
interesting with that Jeep is it spent a lot of time at the body shop. There was a lot of metal that had to get done. It got done right. It got sprayed right. Everything was good to go. The upholsterer did an amazing job. I actually ended up putting um, a nice gray brand new carpet kit in it, you know, had to replace a bunch of other stuff. All the Tuxedo Park chrome emblems and hardware, I actually had completely refinished and also re-chromed. The front and rear bumpers uh, I had redone, but everything was there and Jason I can't thank you enough you know for actually having some foresight and realizing that everything was there because when I bought that from you I had no idea what a tuxedo park was or that you know all these little pieces of hardware not only are they rare but they never survived this long and I had the ball I had the ball. I had everything I needed to cosmetically restore this thing from top to bottom did that reassembled it put the seat in and once I got in that in that Jeep, in that beautifully reupholstered Dover white with Empire blue piping and Empire blue stitching, I quickly realized that this wasn't going to work. I am 6'4", I am 300 pounds, and once I had the seat reupholstered, they bolstered up, they fixed all the springs and everything, I didn't fit in it. I just straight up didn't fit, man. But I got to tell you, I drove that thing and back to the overdrive. I drove that thing and I love driving. It's like driving a, like a go-kart, right? Yeah. Um, and I don't care what anybody says, that F-134 Hurricane, it's got a lot of juice, man. It's got a lot of cojones for a four-cylinder. For what it is, Absolutely. Exactly. I mean, it's no small block 350 or 282, but hey, you know, it, it, it worked. And I'll tell you, that Saturn overdrive you put in it is the reason I kept it so long, even though I didn't fit in it that well. And the, the steering wheel, though I had to replace the steering wheel, was it did rub against my belly every time I turned. <laughs> but you know what? And that's with the seat all the way back. Uh, I'll mm-hmm. tell you, I, I'm a CJ7. I've owned tons of CJ7s. And the difference in wheelbase in that 10 inches between the CJ7 and the CJ5 is a lot. When you're mm-hmm. when you're six four and three hundred pounds. So long story short was I didn't really fit in it that well, but I loved driving it. It was a passion project. I love working on it. And Jason and I spoke throughout the entire process. I kept him updated. He was the only one I, that ever knew what was going on. I really appreciated that too. The the updates and the text. I I look forward to that because it was really cool to watch. And honestly, I was hoping that nobody knew that I was the buyer because you had posted a YouTube video, you know, explaining, hey, I'm letting it go. And my transporter was loading it up in the enclosed trailer. And I happened to see it a couple days later. And man, there were some people in the comments that were not happy. They they were very (laughs) mad at me. And ultimately, I said, you know what? It is what it is. Yep. In the end, uh, you know, I had fun with it. I drove it for, you know, a couple months. I, I drove that overdrive where you go from first direct uh, into second direct. And instead of going into third, I, I'd rev up the RPMs, go into second overdrive. And then instead of going into third direct, I'd rev the over the RPMs up and go right into third overdrive. And it was so much fun to drive, but it just wasn't practical for me at that point. Every time, you know, there's unforeseen circumstances with every build. That just was one and you know what it, it was i parked it in the corner of my uh in my garage and it sat there and it started to collect a little dust and i felt bad that i just wasn't using it 
I had some other projects that I was working on and having fun with and stuff I was driving more regularly. And I just wasn't driving it. So it was time to pass it on down the line to the next caretaker. And a guy out in Iowa that lives out in Iowa ended up buying it from me. And he still to this day texts me pictures of it, of his family in it. and He absolutely loves it. So that's the lineage of that one. It's really cool when you can not only sell a vehicle that you care so much about, but still know where it's at to this day. Because so many times you sell something and you think back like, man, I wonder where that's at. Like you go back, you're talking about my red 98 TJ. Where's that now? I don't know. Probably in a junkyard. I have no idea. That's not as sentimental as the CJ5 to me, but something that you spend so much, you know, blood, sweat, tears, and time on, you think, where does it end up if you sell it? And it's so cool. I'm so glad that you actually kept me in the loop and even keep me updated even now saying, okay, it's out in Iowa. Like, you know where it's at to this point. Now that guy could do who knows what, whether it is, he can do what he wants with it. He can drive it off a cliff, whistle and be slid. I don't know. But, <laughs> you know, basically, it. thank you, Chris, for keeping me in, in the loop. I appreciate it. No, no problem. Maybe that, but you want to know some of the, the greatest thing that came out of that Jeep is you and I crossed paths and uh, and our lives intersected. And, and that's where the value was. We had a, had a lot of fun. Um, you started it. I finished it. And it was a great project on your end. It was a great project on my end. But, you know, we got to talk about another project that you just did, which was super cool. You have that TJ and it's got some miles on it, man. And that, that engine was tired and you decided that it was time to swap it with a stroker. So walk us through all of our listeners through the process of not only acquiring a stroker, which is not easy. You waited a long time, right? Yeah. But doing that swap. So I bought the 2002 TJ um, because in high school, I drove Jeep TJs and I always have really liked the TJ Wrangler platform. Um, and so I figured, you know, one day I'll buy one. And I, thankfully, I bought that before the price of all the Jeep Wranglers shot through the roof, which are just crazy the last year or two. Um, but I bought that and it has 196,000 miles on it. Now for a 4.0, that's not necessarily a lot, but for any vehicle that that's, that's a good bit of miles. Um, but it fit my budget, it fit where I was at, and it's not a primary vehicle. It's just a fun vehicle. So I bought it, but I realized quickly that the owner, when I did the oil change had put probably like two quarts of that Lucas stuff in it to quiet stuff down. And, and mm-hmm. I don't know if it was, I don't know if it was lifters or what I'm thinking it was piston slap, man, you start that thing up when it was cold. It sounded like a diesel. <laughs> um, and it ran good. I never did a compression test, which I probably should have, uh, but it ran decent. It didn't use any oil. It didn't like smoke or do anything. I just was scared to death that I'd be with my kids somewhere like out in the boonies in the woods, uh, you know, on a fire road or something, doing some Sunday afternoon exploring and it let loose, you know, send a piston skirt into that engine. And then I'd be, you know, stuck a couple hours from home, no cell service. So I wanted it to be more reliable. So I drove it like that for a little while. And I guess it's been about a year ago. I ordered my stroker. Actually, it was like last last January, January of 2022. I ordered my stroker. Um, and I know a lot of people say, well, just build your own. I I probably could, but I'm I've never done anything like that before. I've never machined, you know, things. I've never actually assembled an engine. I know how it all goes together, but I've never done it. So I ordered, I ordered a long block from a company, and that took I think just short of five months to get to me. Um, so, which was kind of hard to sit on your hands for five months, but the way you spent that kind of money too, right? Yes. It was a long block. 
which uh, they basically send you everything minus the covers. So you have to essentially use a lot of your covers, like your your valve cover, your your oil pan. You need to use like, that's how they. I guess if it wasn't super expensive, but it wasn't cheap either. Um, but I took the opportunity to put all new stuff on. I put all new accessories on it: water pumps, hoses. I actually, put a new oil pan on, new valve cover. I did all that stuff all new while I was doing it. And to be honest with you, this is my first actual engine swap. I've never swapped an engine before. So it was, it was pretty cool. I had a buddy from Virginia, Rick. He came up. He helped me put that in, pull it out, and put it in. When you, th- you find out real quick that an engine swap can be done by yourself, but it's it's hard to do by yourself. It's good to have an extra set of hands. Yeah. Um, but the Stroker is an idea that I had. I mean, they were becoming popular in the late 2000s. And that's the time I was, you know, driving my Jeeps and everything. And that was something I always wanted to do. Even, even since a kid before the CJ fives, before the, the older Jeeps, I always wanted to put a stroked four O in a Wrangler. I mean, I know some people always said, well, it'd be easier to put a small block in it or do an LS swap. And I'm like, well, I guess, but I like there's, there's something about the stroker that I always wanted to do. So the engine is a 4.7 liter stroker. That was built by SMJ Engines out of Spokane, Washington. And the cool thing, it has a seven-year, 100,000-mile warranty on the engine, which is kind of cool. I know there's yeah. a lot of people that do that. Um, so we swapped that in, my buddy Rick and I. I. I pulled the motor out myself, got the old motor, old 4.0 out. And uh, he came up, I think it was May. It was the hottest. It was the hottest day of the spring, early summer. It was super hot. And we're out there in my barn and we're putting this thing in. We're putting it all together. I had, I had assembled all this accessories. So all we had to do was just, you know, stab it in. So we put it in and uh, basically broke in the camshaft and all that stuff, running at like 2000 RPMs, had the, had the catalytic converter growing, glowing red. And um, yeah, been driving, been driving it ever since. And it's, it's a lot of fun. It, it is a huge improvement over a stock 4.0, a 4.7 liter stroker. You get so much more torque. I think the compression ratio is like nine. I forget what it is, like nine something to one versus the stock 8.3 to one or something. So you have more compression. You have to run a higher octane fuel, but who cares? <laughs> it's a lot that, of fun. That's pretty cool. And for all the listeners out there, this is all documented on YouTube. So you can go to your yep. YouTube channel, check it out. I broke it up into like, I think it's four or five parts, maybe five parts. And, uh, this, this spring when I, it's not so cold where we're at here, we're in South central Pennsylvania. So it's, it's fairly cold. And when things warm up a little bit, I'm going to do some more, you know, testing videos, you know, driving it, you know, different things and, and, and kind of document even more. But if you want to watch the install process from, from pulling the engine to putting it in and, 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 you know, firing up for the first time, it's all in like a five part series that you can watch on my YouTube channel for sure. That's cool. Now, when you got that engine you, and you put it in, from a wiring harness standpoint, was it plug and play? Like you stabbed it in and, oh, so, you know, you had a, a male connector on one end. It, the engine already had the female connector on the other end. Rick always made fun of me. Uh, he's on YouTube and everything as well, but and, and Instagram. But he always made fun of me because he said, you're so organized. <laughs> when I pulled everything out, I had green like frog tape, painter's tape, right? And I wrote on everything what it went to what it was for all my bolts. I'm going to pull the water pump off like a certain order, like, you know, where they all go. And he's like, this is ridiculous. I've never seen anybody do this before. I'm like, well, this is a big deal to me. I don't want to lose anything or mess anything up. I have a lot of money invested in this. Um, so I had everything labeled. So we went to put everything back together, like, you know, from the throttle body to the, you know, the map sensors, everything, everything plugged right up to where it needed to go. And everything just mated right up, which is, 
which is a cool, I mean, it's not as much of a challenge as an old Jeep where you literally have to source, scrounge, fabricate parts, okay. um, make things work. The, the TJ is, you know, while it's a newer Jeep and now probably a technically getting close to, you know, collector status or classic, um, it's still plug and play. It's a lot easier. That's cool. That is awesome, man. So uh, what's next? Uh, what's your next project going to be? What are you looking to to pick up out there? Uh, you know, you don't really have anything to get rid of. So uh, you got to pick something up. This TJ, I'm going to drive the wheels off of. I, and I've made up my mind on that. I'm going to keep it for a while. It'll probably be one of my boys making it old enough to drive. Um, we'll probably, I'll probably find it. I'll probably buy it on Facebook Marketplace. Yeah, you probably you know, I, I we'll do another year. episode. <laughs> um, but for, for this year, my goal is mainly just to drive it. Just keep tinkering with little things here and there. Um, and when the, I mean, I, I understand the the classic market is always the classic market. It's going to be what it's going to be um, for price points. But the used car market last year or two has been just insane. I mean, you, you know as well as I do, like the, there are people are asking, and, and I mean, whatever, I, I would, if I was selling something, I wouldn't, I would ask whatever I need to ask too, but it's just unreal what people are selling these vehicles for. Um, and as it starts to come back down, I think my eye is going to be on another flat fender. I'd love to have, but this time I'd love to have like a 2A or a 3A, um, like a flat fender. And I don't care what it really is. I mean, it could be a little bit of work. It doesn't need to be perfect, but I, I, that's my next goal was to have like a, a 2A or a 3A flat fender. Get back into the old classic Jeeps again. That's cool. Actually, I think that's, we share a similar goal. Uh, I've never owned a flat fender before and I really, really would like uh, a flat fender. I, I want a CJ 10 and actually coming up this season, we're going to have a, a guest that has a couple CJ 10s, which is rare, super rare. Cause they were predominantly just military. They were never sold civilian uh, in this country. They were sold civilian in other countries, but not this country. And they were just a uh, government contract in this country. But I do, uh, we're going to have somebody on that has a, a couple CJ tents uh, this season, but I will say uh, I share the same desire as you do for this year's to pick up a flat fender. And problem with the flat fenders, man, is whether it's a, a two or a two A or you know three B is, man, I got to tell you, if they're either completely roasted and just toasted, and they're like almost unsalvageable, or they're impeccable frame off nut and bolt restorations that cost-wise are untouchable. There's really nothing in between. No, there's really not. And real quick, I do want to say, this is kind of a cool story. Like a few years back, um, I'd say probably three or four years ago, where we're at, we're fairly close within like an hour of Hershey chocolate, okay? So everybody I'm sure is familiar with Hershey bars, Hershey chocolate, right? I actually saw a Jeep for sale from a guy out uh that does like military jeeps and like old jeep stuff you know he's a jeep specialist he was selling an old i think it was a 48 or a 49 flat fender and it was blue and he wanted he wanted too much honestly i i i wasn't gonna i i i don't want to say i want to say this it i don't want to say it wasn't worth it but i didn't i personally didn't see the value where he had it priced at um it was dark blue but as the paint was starting to chip off he said yeah this was an old hershey estates vehicle it was chocolate brown underneath there no and you could way. still see the hershey like hand painted lettering on it uh, like under as old paint or the newer like you know the blue paint was flaking off it would have been a really cool jeep to have like a hershey brown chocolate you know milk chocolate hershey colored flat fender that would have been really cool 
So there was a guy two towns over from me selling a CJ2A and it was that like back to that brown color, right? And then I don't know if, I don't know what the name of that brown color is, but it had the orange steelies on it, the orange steely oh, wheels. Yeah. And I got to tell you, it was restored. It was immaculate. I mean, it was nut and bolt, frame off, everything worked. It was gorgeous, right? Absolutely gorgeous. And it was painted perfect. Whoever did the body work did a great job. It was beautiful. And I happened to see it. I happened to drive by it. And the guy wanted 40 grand for it, right? Which I was like, I, yeah, I, I'm surprised you oh didn't my just, gosh. Yeah, guy wanted 40 grand for it. And I was like, and I happened to, I stopped, I looked at it. And I'm like, yeah, it's worth, it's definitely worth a lot of money on the high end of that spectrum for a 2A. But I mean, our 2A is doing 40 grand. And I got to tell you, the guy actually ended up walking out of his house and he's like, oh, you're interested in it. I was like, oh, not really interested in it, you know. But I want to look at it, admire it. And then I kid you not, like two months later, was this was the beginning of the summer. The end of the summer, I happened to be at the restaurant that was by his house. And I saw the guy again. And I was like, hey, what ended up happening? In my head, I'm like, there's no way this guy... There's no way this guy sold the CJ2A for anything close to 40 grand. And this guy wasn't budget either. Like you might have gotten like 39. I know, I know what I have. Oh, it was definitely that. I mean, the guy's house, it was a beach house. I mean, it was in a very, very wealthy town. I mean, he had a massive house. And this guy was not did not need the one, right? I'll put it to you that way. And I gotta say, maybe you got 500, maybe you got a thousand bucks, but this guy was not budging too far. So I said, Hey, what, what happened to the CJ2A? He's like, man, I just had it out here with a for sale saying guy had money falling out of his pocket and gave me full price for it. It's like, God bless you. <laughs> hey, awesome. Congratulations. <laughs> and don't worry, it was worth it, but that was probably the largest transaction I've ever seen for a fully restored CJ2A was that didn't have any provenance to it, but yeah. Yeah. That that's a big number, man. That is a that's big number. A lot of, that's a lot of money. That let's just say that's that's out of my price range. <laughs> yes. That's out of anybody that's looking for a CJ2A's wow. price range. So too funny. Well hey uh Jason man I really I can't thank you enough. I've I've been haunting you for now we're in our second season. I wanted you on the first season. Like you know life got in the way. You were busy work's been busy uh for you but I'm so glad you got on on the second season of the classic four by four podcast because you and I have just such a cool story to talk about and how our lives intersected and and for all of our our listeners out there if you don't follow follow uh, Jason on Instagram and the other social channels. You got to follow him at 65 CJ five, which is six, five S E E J A Y F I V E. And you also have to follow him on YouTube and check out his YouTube channels. Go take a look at that tuxedo park that he started. And I finished, you can see the beginning of it on his Instagram, on his YouTube, and you can see how it ended up on my Instagram at Overland by the sea. Jason, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. And I'm so glad that that you and I crossed paths in life. Thank you, Chris. I really do appreciate being here. It was a a blast to catch up and a, a blast to kind of go down memory lane. I'm so glad I came across that Tux Park and got to know Jason. Don't forget to check out his YouTube channel and follow him on Instagram at 65CJ5. Also, check out our next episode with Dan Perkins talking about Mitsubishi Monteros and Pajeros, Pajeros, whatever you want to call them.